Welcome to PR360, a weekly interview podcast dedicated to talking about the important topics within the public relations technology industry, hosted by Brett Deister and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find out more information at globalresultspr.com. Welcome to PR360, a podcast where we talk to the best experts in the PR tech industry. I'm your host, Brett Dicer, and a little bit about me is that I do a podcast called Digital Coffee that talks about PC gaming. But here at PR360, our very first guest, who is Sharon Audi. She is head of marketing and communication at iConnective and very storied career in the PR tech communication field with over 25 years of experience, and she has a BA in communication at Kane University. Welcome to the show, Sharon. It's great to have you here. And what are some things you do the first thing you get into the office? So a normal day for me starts pretty much exactly like a normal day for most people. Before my feet hit the ground, my phone is usually in my hand. I like to be able to check and see what might have happened overnight. We work for a global company and you just want to make sure that you understand if there were any developments overnight before you start your day. Typical, you got to have the house come into work. There is usually a pretty full day of activities, meetings, to-do lists that you get done and just try and, and sparse it off to make sure that you're dealing with the top priorities of the day. Days are long, but I enjoy what I do. So I find a lot of joy out of coming in and getting it all done. That's very interesting. So with your great success in a marketing communication field and a professional in the industry that has rapidly evolved in the span of 20 years, what do you think are the greatest strengths and skills someone needs to succeed in this environment? So thanks. That's uh, very nice of you to say. So for me, I think it's important to always be curious about what's possible I think that complacency is a killer. For me, I'm truly motivated by technology. I tell people all the time that we are literally living on the front page of a history book. We're creating a world of things that are going to be possible for future generations, and we're kind of seeing it right from the front row. I find that exhilarating. So I think it's really important to be really passionate about what you're doing and enjoy what you do. You can't pretend. You need to be honest with yourself and to be able to seek out something that you're genuinely interested in, because if you're going to be marketing it and being like a brand ambassador and a communicator, you really need to genuinely be interested in it. For me, I believe there's always something new to learn. I think there's always something new to try or to test out. I never think I have all the answers. I'm I'm never concerned about being perceived as like the smartest person in the room. I think that other people might find that scary, but I find it exciting. Like I think I can learn from people on any day at any walk of life. And so from Just a general advice, I would say you need to know who you are as a person. You need to figure out what works for you, and then you need to embrace it. That's some great advice for people that are wanting to learn more about their strengths and how it goes well with this industry. But what would your seven-year-old self say about you joining this industry? So yes, my seven-year-old self did not say, one day I'm going to grow up and be a PR person in technology. I always had a passion for writing. It's kind of the path to marketing and communications for me came through an interest in writing, but I was always interested in technology. In fact, I got my first computer when I was 12 years old. It was a Texas instrument computer that didn't even have a hard drive. You had to save everything to a kind of a tape drive. And I would sit and just teach myself coding. It was just basic language at the time. I created a software program for like a local travel agent that was trying to do some different things with reservations. And you know, this was in the seventies, I might point out. So long before we, we, got the benefit of all the brilliance of people like uh, Steve Jobs. So technology was something that just always interested me. And then I'm born and raised in New Jersey. 
And basically, if you're born and raised in New Jersey, you can either go into technology, we are the home of telecommunications, or you can go into pharmaceuticals because we are also pretty much the medicine cabinet of the entire country. And so falling into technology was a personal interest. And then living in New Jersey made it kind of easy to make a segue. I understand. I grew up in the floppy disk era and hard drives just weren't really that big back then. But growing up in New Jersey, how has your first job helped shape the person you are today and how has it helped you as a marketer today? My first paid job, interestingly enough, was at a telemarketing survey firm. I was in high school and you basically called people up. I can tell you that it was definitely not a very good fit for me. In fact, I can distinctly remember having to work one year on like Super Bowl Sunday and I was calling people to do a survey about alcohol, different brands of alcohol. Many of the brand names I couldn't even pronounce. Nobody was going to teach us how to say anything. Most of the people that we were calling, as you might imagine, were less than thrilled at getting interrupted during the big game. And so Needless to say, that job didn't last very long. But what I learned, I think, in that position was a few kind of critical things I took with me throughout my career. One is you need to know your audience. It might be nice that you want to make the phone call on Super Bowl Sunday, but that doesn't mean that the person receiving the call wants it. And it really does impact your take rate. And so you have to not always look at things from an internal, what does this mean to me perspective? It's very important to understand your audience and how it's going to be perceived and accepted by them. And so again, from a Marcom perspective or marketing communications perspective, that is definitely a critical life lesson. I also had to sit in a room with phone banks for hours on end making endless phone calls. And I knew at an early age that I was not really fit for that. I'm not the type of person that can sit in an office and not really have the ability to move and explore and try new things. I'm not very scripted in that way. So again, another good life lesson for me just from that first job, which again, did not last very long. It was definitely not a fit for me, my personality or what I wanted to eventually do at all. That's some really great advice for our listeners. And you seem to be in the forefront of technology. And if you wanted to really understand tech or computers, you had to build your own computers. What life events have really made you go down the path of being a public relations practitioner in the tech industry? So, you know, life has a funny way of just unfolding in front of you. When I was in high school, I was always very proficient in English. And I also had a lot of love for computer science which was a very new field, as you might imagine, back at the time. What I found when I was graduating was so many people I knew were going into computer science that I looked at the field and I said, that's looking very crowded. I'm going to go back, explore my kind of original passion of writing. I always wanted to be a reporter. I was the editor of school newspapers. And so I went down a path of reporting because I like to tell stories. I like to tell other people's stories. I think there is an art in being able to convey a message clearly to different audience types. So I started as a reporter. I then moved on to become a public information officer in a county here in New Jersey that was dealing with some very controversial issues at the time. So I learned a lot about crisis communication in that role. I went to a PR agency for a while after that, where you learn some of the core kind of disciplines of public relations. And again, in a PR agency setting, at least the one I was in, I had six or seven different clients across six or seven different industries, and it was really hard for me to feel like I was on top of my game for all of my clients. And so I realized that the client, that the agency side was probably not a fit for me, and I was better fit for the client side, where I could learn an industry and know it full well. And so eventually ended up, obviously, in telecom here in New Jersey and pull in my forever love of writing and of computer science and technology and was very, very fortunate to find a job that had those two things that I was very passionate about. There's some people that really thrive in the, the PR agencies. 
there's some people that don't. You're completely right. My question to you is, how does iConnective fit within the new technologies and 5G that is coming to the mainstream in both the consumer and the business world? I'm just a lover of technology. I believe that no matter how much we get as humans, we want more. So there was a time when a 14.4 modem gave us connectivity to this thing called the internet. Not even actually, right? And we were more than happy with that. And so we got the 56.6 and then, oh, wait, what is this? Have online streaming. Definitely raised where we paid $5 an hour for internet connectivity in our home. And so with each new technology development, it becomes kind of table stakes for all of us to the point that we forget what life was like when we didn't have it, when we had to have maps instead of GPSs. And so for me, I think that technology will forever change what we do. And the human need, necessity, innovation is going to drive things that we actually can't even think about. And then when you experience that autonomous cars or what augmented reality you can't imagine ever going back to a life without it. Love technology. I'm always kind of looking forward to see, okay, kind of what's coming next. I'm typically an early adopter. I know that it's clunky and clumsy and a little bit broken in the beginning, some of the new tech. I still think it's worth the experience to deal with some of the bumps. I mean, for iConnected specifically, we are at the core of making sure that trusted communications remains possible. So Back in the day, when phones were just phones, everybody was very confident that the people who were calling them, they knew who was calling them. They knew that the phone call was intended for them. And as technology kind of evolved, it opened up the door for some of the confidence that consumers have in the communications infrastructure to be impacted in a negative way. So for iConnective, because of our ability to kind of create the software that makes the phone work, our neutral, trusted third-party dance of just developing telecom infrastructure, I know that as the technology continues to advance to benefit all of us and give us convenience and choice, the need to protect people's privacy and to give people the confidence that their identity and that their information is being protected, that they're not being interrupted through nuisance calls and such, that's going to become even more and more paramount for everyone. iConnective is right in the middle of making sure that trust and confidence remain core to communications globally. I do remember the 56K modem and the annoying sound that it produced when it was telling you it was going online. I actually do have a little bit of that sound bite in my intro to my podcast. But moving on to robocalls. And personally, I actually don't answer my phone anymore because I never really know who's calling me. And with a lot of numerous reports saying that scammers are claiming to be businesses that they actually aren't. How is iConnective going to communicate to their customers that they have a fix? they are on top of the robocall problem. Yes. So you are definitely not alone. About 76% of people no longer answer their phone. And interestingly, most people expect it to go to voicemail. Some people don't have voicemail set up and most people's voicemails are full. So even if I was a legitimate caller trying to leave you a message, I can't. And so robocalls are the number one complaint in the U.S. to both the FCC and the FTC. It is a paramount problem that many people are dealing with on many fronts. There's no silver bullet. No one company is going to come in and solve the problem for everyone. Now, interestingly, the problem was created because of a technological innovation about how phone calls could be made. So from the beginning, phone calls went over a switch network. And then when IP phone calls were allowed, it actually kind of changed the structure 
And it was through that some of these additional, I'm going to call them problems or nuisances emerged. So the telecommunications industry, the U.S. government, a number of vendors across the entire telecommunications infrastructure continue to be dealing with this and have dealt with this for years. It's a complicated problem to solve when you think about the complexity of every service provider. There's over 1,600 in the U.S. alone. Every service provider deploying something within their networks that will talk to all of the other service providers while also caring for any kind of international calls that are coming in. So the U.S. government said we need to get a solution for this and a calling number verification service is launching actually this month in December or launched in December of 2019. That's one piece of of the solution. And that is to say, we are now going to make sure that we authenticate and verify the phone calls that are coming over. And we're going to do that at what's called the origination header. But basically we're going to do that in a way that nobody can tamper with. And iConnective is very involved in that. We're the policy administrator. It is the role that will make sure these kind of cryptographic digital handshakes happen between those people who are making phone calls and those people who are processing the phone calls, which are the service providers. But that's just one piece of it. There's the FCC. There's a number of trade organizations. A lot of people have been involved in creating the standards and the requirements for what will help solve the problem, at least here in the United States. In addition, though, the service providers do a tremendous amount of work in blocking calls. So interestingly, We all know how many calls we get and how annoying that is. You'd be surprised at how many calls they've stopped that you never see, that you don't get because of their call blocking techniques that sit within the service provider. They use a tremendous amount with analytics to determine whether or not a call should or should not go through. And then obviously at the device level, individuals and manufacturers can put apps on their phone, which would help identify whether or not the call seems suspicious. They might contact, so they just the number looks a suspicious place. There's technology that's coming out called ringless voicemail. So if the call comes through and it seems suspicious, rather than interrupting us as consumers, it will go right to voicemail. And if it's a legitimate call and someone's voicemail is set up and there's still room left in the voicemail because it's been cleaned out, a voicemail can be left without kind of interrupting the person who may or may not be interested in getting that call. So There's no one answer to solving robocalling. It's just not that simple. There is legal robocalling. When my dentist calls me through an electronic automated device to tell me my appointment's coming up, that's a robocall. It's legal. And by the way, it's what I want, right? It's not all robocalling is bad. What you don't want are the illegal robocalls, those that are spoofing or spamming you or trying to get something out of you. And so there's the delicate nature of making sure that in stopping the illegal ones, you don't inadvertently harm legitimate businesses who are trying to get in touch with consumers who actually want to get the message from that particular business. I was reading an article just recently, and the impact on the economy, I think, is now estimated at $1 trillion because of what happens with robocalls. So if you think about it, a service provider's customer service costs go up significantly because the number of calls they get from consumers complaining about robocalls increases. So they have to staff for that, care for that, et cetera. So there's a lot of money that the service providers are spending to let their consumers know that there's solutions at hand. Businesses, legitimate businesses who are trying to get in touch with people who actually want to hear from them cannot get their messages through. And so that has an economic impact and a convenience impact, both on the business and on the consumer. So we're annoyed and we don't answer our phone anymore. When you start to look at it from an economic perspective, this really does have a fairly significant impact for legitimate businesses. So it's not just how do we get the robocalls to stop? How do we make sure that the calls we want continue to come through?
we are able to have confidence when we answer that call. So again, I connect us in the middle of that here in the United States in countries around the world, helping a number of different solutions in place to help solve the problem. But it's not a problem that any one company is going to solve on their own. Yes, that's actually a really great point that not all robocalls are bad. I think we see a lot of it in the media that says that all robocalls are bad and it's a terrible thing that's going on. But how does iConnective convey or communicate to their customers that not all robocalls are bad and some are from legitimate businesses? So we're very much business to business. So most of our communications around that is with regulators in different countries, certainly with the service providers or the carriers that provide the communication service. We work a lot with trade organizations to develop the standards. And so it's less a consumer message for iConnective to say, hey, we're helping solve this. We believe that the consumer facing message is really for the governments and the service providers. That's their story to tell. Our story to tell is to the ecosystem that's helping solve it. And we do that through the response and awarding of various RFPs. We provide our technical solutions and have been selected again here in the United States, for instance, to put up that policy administrator, that trust anchor role here. We do a number of papers. So we'll do market briefs and kind of different positioning papers, not to position a product, but to help educate people about the complexities of the problem. As you said, most people are just like, oh my goodness, please just stop giving me these phone calls I don't want. And that sounds reasonable and it sounds simple, but the reality is while it is reasonable, it is far from simple to stop. There's a lot of taken into consideration. And so a lot of what we will do is have conversations with the folks in the industry that are helping to solve that so that the solutions can roll out. We really don't do much with the applications themselves, again, because that's not our face, the developer community specifically. So one of the issues will be, will calls from legitimate businesses somehow inadvertently be flagged as a suspicious call? And there's a risk to that, but there's also a solution to that. So we we have definitely been talking to the service providers and enterprises to say, there is a solution. Here is the way that we can make sure these legitimate calls still go through. We can help and make sure that they solve this and make sure that your traffic doesn't in any way get impacted and that your phone calls and more importantly get answered because it's not about connectivity it's actually about consumer engagement so our, our communications really are more to the industry to regulators the government and not so much to the consumers ultimately though it is the consumers that will benefit from the solutions we put in place makes sense for iConnective to work with the mobile carriers in dealing with the robocall issue what advice do you have for people that want to do PR in the telecom or tech industry So I think in life, everybody should try and be a sponge and you should kind of squeeze that sponge as often as possible and get as much out of it. I think that you need to be curious. I think you need to ask questions. I think you need to not be afraid, try something, to test something. I think people think, oh, I'm going to try this. And that didn't work exactly like I expected it to. So it's failed. But that's not a failure. Like that is a huge learning experience when you try something and then you learn something from the result, especially when it's different than what you were expecting. And so always be open to looking at everything as a learning experience. I think everybody should ask questions. I think as you come up through your career, in PR, I would volunteer because A, you get to know people and that's always education in and of itself, but you also get exposed to things and say, oh, I didn't really think I was going to enjoy this, but I I like this a lot. Maybe I'll pursue doing this a little bit more or wow, I really thought I was going to enjoy that a lot and that's dreadful. I don't want to ever do that again. And so by volunteering, it's such a low risk way of trying something and people are typically 
even in corporate, right, we're all so busy. Someone who offers to help, I'm always like, thank you so much. And so when you volunteer to do things out of your wheelhouse or your job responsibility, it actually opens up your eyes, not only to what you want to do, but as you move forward in your career, it helps give you a better perspective when making decisions later. So because you understand, oh, I understand how complex that might be, or I understand what's involved to getting that thing that done because I personally experienced it. And so it just gives you a lot more insight. And when you're younger in your career, you have all of these wonderful opportunities. And as you go higher up the ladder, those opportunities start to slow down because you're really just honing in on one specialty. So take advantage of everything that you can, especially when you're first entering. Try anything. That's pretty solid advice for people wanting to get in this industry. Fun question for you. Do you actually answer your phone when you actually do not know the person that is calling you? So no. <laughs> And I'm sure I shouldn't say that. I barely answer my telephone anymore for a number of reasons. So one, because who's on the other call and can I really be disturbed in my normal day? Two, like again, I learned this when I was kind of first growing up in PR. You don't ever want to answer a phone and have it be a member of the media if you're not ready to talk to that person. And so never really answer the phone if I didn't recognize the number because I'd rather them leave the message, understand what they were looking for and be prepared to call them back. That was like back in the early days. Now, very rare for me to answer the telephone if I don't recognize some aspect of the phone number, whether it be an area code or an exchange. And that's really less because of robocalling. And it's more because of time management. I can't let people who decide to call me interrupt my day because I already have things I need to get done. And so if they're calling me, I'm happy to call them back, but it has to be at a time that's mutually convenient. And so that's really why I don't answer the phone. Fair enough. It's pretty wise not to answer your phone call, especially if it's the press. You do not have an answer for them. Another fun question for you. Do you like coffee or tea? So I have this weird anomaly where I don't drink either. <laughs> and it's funny because people who know me cannot believe I don't drink coffee. I have a lot of energy. In fact, I remember having breakfast once with CEO of one of the companies I had worked with. And it was super early in the morning and we were in London and I am in full tilt PR mode. And he's like, yo, like I haven't even had my first cup of coffee. Like how many cups of coffee have you had? And I was like, I don't drink coffee. And he was like, oh my God, I thought you were like this because you drank coffee. So I can only be fearful of what I might be like if I drank coffee. So yeah, I'm kind of a water drinker, as boring as that might seem. Well, water is one of the main ingredients in coffee and tea. So it's close enough. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? I think I've said this a couple of times. I think it's so important in life to put a device down, to truly listen to what people are saying, whether you agree with it or not is irrelevant. It's really just important to hear the conversation and to hear the perspective. It's really, really important to never lose that childhood curiosity factor. When you do that and you become complacent, it creates like a completely different momentum and acceleration in yourself personally and in your career. So be curious, try anything, go anywhere that you're invited, because I do think no matter what you do each day, if you're open to it, you'll learn something. And many years later, that learning will kind of kick in the back of your head and be like, oh, yes, I remember this happening once before. So be open and just be curious. There's a lot to learn out there. Thank you, Sharon, for sharing your advice and information on what's going on in your side of the telecom PR industry. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on all the major podcasting platforms. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. And join us next week when we talk to another great expert in the PR tech industry. I'm your host, Brett Deister, and have a great week. Later. Later.